0: Thank you for being with us today. We would love to have you join us in person. To partner with us or to give online, go to www.upperroomohio.com. We hope you enjoy this message. believe that there is not a junior Holy Spirit. There's not a junior version of God. There's not a kid version. There's not a teenage version. Like they have the fullness of God in them, and we could probably learn a lot from their faith, their joy, their their carefreeness, their lack of fear. My daughter Hadassah, she's three, and she'll jump off of anything. She'll roll down anything. She just she's like a little wrecking ball, and uh, I'm like, oh my goodness. So, uh, how many are, wish you had that lack of fear? I do, I do. It seems like the older I get, the more fear I get. I remember hiking in New Zealand. I get to the edge of this mountain. I'm like, whoa, whoa, that's a long way down. So I think my dad's gotten that way a little bit too. If you ever drive across a, a, a high bridge with him, he's got the widest hands you'll ever see. Like, <sighs> so hey, we're thankful you're here. We did. We had an awesome leader weekend, and um, just know that we we. We don't have full-time staff here, we don't invest in full-time staff, not that we're against it, we just, we just don't do that at this time. And, um, but what we do invest in is relationships, so we rented this giant house for the weekend, we worshiped together, we prayed together, we laughed together, we cried together. Um, and we always say, you don't know if you have covenant until you have conflict, we may have even conflicted a little bit. But you don't have covenant unless you have connection. And, and here at Upper Room, we don't, we don't want you to be based on, we don't want our relationship to be based on uh, what you offer or, or how big your ministry is or, or how you can produce or your numbers, We you don't take attendance. Like this is God's bride. He's not opposed to attendance though. Let me just clarify that for people who do take attendance. Somebody counted the 120 in the Upper Room. Somebody counted the 5,000 that were fed. So he's not opposed to it, we just don't do it. It's not one of our core values to, to measure numbers. But we do measure God's presence and the connection and the covenant that we have with each other and Him. And, uh, and, I'll, and I'll tell you, it's, that's the thing we want to invest in. We want ministry to be birthed off of relationship, not relationship to be birthed off the ministry we do together. So it's just one of our core values, it's who we are. So um, we get crazy and laugh and go, uh, we, we put wood Indians in front of doors and people run into them and scream. They had this big statue. It was like this tall, carved out of a, a log. And, um, and Bert and Samuel just found it really amusing to like, put that just on the other side of like a bathroom door. So you'd walk in and run into that thing. And there were so many people screaming through the weekend with this freaky Indian, this Native American carving um, just right there. It ended up in people's beds. And it was... <laughs> This thing was heavy, too. It was this big around. But uh, anyway, we want to enlighten you that, that we are close here. We, we choose to be family. You don't fall in love, people. If you fell in love, it would be an accident, and it meant you can fall out of love. You choose love. You choose connection. You choose covenant. Even when things are hard, and even when you don't, we're not looking for agreement here. We're looking for unity. Yeah. Honor is when we can value each other, even in a disagreement. Honor is what love looks like and it looks like something, you know, and sometimes it looks messy and ugly because it's beyond just a Facebook Sunday relationship. When you come together, when you move in with your spouse, when you choose to be a friend with somebody and you start to learn the differences and that that my wife, you know, scrunches her toothpaste like a maniac or doesn't wipe off the ketchup rim when she's done with it. Like now I got to choose to love her beyond her faults. And when that toilet paper ends up going spool down instead of spool up, there's an issue. We choose that love. We choose to press into that. And that's, that's what the weekend, it may have cost the church a few thousand dollars in meals in, this, in the place we stayed, but we're it, you, you as a church, you as a body, you as the bride, you as the family, you as the face of God, the hands and feet of God, you're worth that. And I'd much rather have that than a salary. You know, that's, that's, just, that's just my preference. I want to enjoy the people I'm around. And I want you to see who I am. And we, we want to, you know, take stupid pictures of each other. People fishing at a pond and this fountain going out. And it looks like that person's using the restroom. So we won't mention names, Pastor Greg. But anyway, that was a title, not a name. All right. So anyways, we love you. Uh, there's let me let me just get to the chase here Uh, I usually start with some funny stuff or a story about my kids but we're just gonna get right into it we were processing some things over the last couple weeks and even a couple months realizing that we have a new church like if you come to both of the services and ask how many has been here less than four years 50 25 to 50 60 percent sometimes are less than four years less than three years so we're growing we're new and younger and uh, how many feel good to be young in here because I don't care if you're the oldest person in here, you're young. You're young, all right? When you're measuring in eternity, you're young. Makes you feel good, doesn't it? Yeah. So, anyway, we, we've been processing that not, not everybody's walked with us through the journey we've walked through. Not everybody's had the revelations that we've had over the last six, eight, 10, 12 years. So, what we realized was we got into this topic of discussion at our, at our house church, our home group on Wednesday night. Yes, Wednesday night and uh, we were discussing the power of identity. And, and then we realized, and even like Amy Pierce, who's in our leadership, she had never heard some of this. So we were already saying, you know, there's probably people among us that haven't heard some of the early messages of what grace and mercy is. Getting something you, you don't deserve, not getting something you do deserve. You know, defining what that really is, and, and what the Father's heart is, what the Father's love is, what that looks like, and so many other things about the culture of honor family well the key one that was a core value for many years and, and it's like we need to repeat this thing this just needs to be in our core dna of who we are and that's identity and and i'll be honest like in the kingdom it's the king's domain and his domain is family his government the government of heaven is family it starts with the family it ends with the family it starts with the with the marriage it ends with the marriage and anything in between involved a marriage we're the bride of Christ. He's returning for us, right? So, so the king's domain is family. Heaven's government is family. And, and the economy in, the, in heaven's government is relationships. The currency is love. Family is literally the functioning, organized unit of love. That's what my definition of family is. It's the organized, functioning unit of love. Family. And it doesn't mean that we're blood. You know, this is home. This is my home church, but I don't live here. Sometimes it feels like I do. But it's home. We're family. It's context in the covenant that we're choosing each other. And within that becomes not just a place where we lead people to freedom, lead people to Christ, which is the ultimate goal, right? But it's a place that hosts his presence, a place that, that worship is a corporate experience and a movement. You know, we're loud. we a little cray-cray. Okay? But if Jesus looks alive, his bride should look alive too. I'm not against churches that don't express themselves like the way we do and, and, and I'm thankful for those churches to reach the people that would not feel comfortable in here. Absolutely thankful for the bride and the unity of that bride and the different denominations and expressions and, and the beauty of that. That's what we look like in here today. I never judge anybody based on how they, how they experience or, or, or emotionally express God. The same way that I said last week, I don't judge people at a wedding, a sporting event or a funeral. You have laughter and crying and wailing and yelling and cheering and chanting, right? I never judge that because the bride's supposed to look really unique and really different. So out of the context of family and out of a church that's not only hosting his presence and leading people to Jesus Christ, but also a place that's a family welcoming people back into the family of God. That's what a church is supposed to be. It's not supposed to be a place of condemnation and judgment. Let God do that. He's pretty good at it. We get to come in and be free and then choose covenant, choose love, choose family. We don't have to worry about that other stuff. So in that context, in that culture, people begin to get free because we're not forcing something on you. You get to choose God because he first chose you. You love because he first loved you. So, so in, this, in this culture of family, now we get to raise up sons and daughters of Yahweh. We get, to, we get to encounter God as children. We get to lead people to a transformation in his presence. The church was never supposed to become this organization or business or structure to, to just grow themselves. Like it's a body of believers that make up the bride and you, the people, are the church. We don't go to church. We become and are the church. We, we, we get this system wrong in our culture and in America, in my opinion, that, that we're raising up organizations that were meant to be movements they become stagnant. It's a river. Right? A river, a living river, living waters flowing out of us. We're supposed to be poured into and flowed out of. We're supposed to be brought from something and to something. Listen, so your identity is, is, is in this revelation of, of, of this who you are and whose you are. And I'll be honest, in the context of, of my bad choices and my, my, my uh, prodigal season, you know, I found myself arrested a few times. I found myself uh, you know, trying suicide. I found myself depressed, unhappy. And it's because I wasn't living who I was intended to be. You'll never be happy. Nothing out there, nothing in the world, nothing, no material, no title, no anything will ever mean anything to you if you're not living within the context of the way God created you to be for the identity and the DNA he put in you. The Bible in Genesis, it says, let us, he says, let us make man in our image. Let us, you were created in the image of God. So God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, let us. They, they threw a party and they all of a sudden molded you and fearfully and wonderfully made you and poof, there's James. James, the depth of James, who's, who's hungry for the word, who's hungry for the truth, who loves to teach, who loves to, to practice the drums and, and who has this, this quirky, funny personality. He has this little bit of bashfulness and, and humility and almost like shyness in him. But then all of a sudden he comes out in these little surprise moments. That's James. Even in your, even in your quirks, even in your, your kind of weird things. Like if you read your word, he actually calls you a peculiar people. That means I get to be so crazy and weird and no one can say a thing about it. I'm a Jesus freak. I love to have fun. My wife... She was in fifth or sixth grade. She tells this story and how we allow things to change the course of history in our life. And we allow people and what they say about us to, to contradict and actually come in and interfere what God has already said about us. You were formed at the beginning of the earth. You were formed before the mountains, before the sky, before, before all this. You were born and you were created. You were formed at the foundations of the earth. He he had this thought. He had this happy thought, and it was you. He had a dream, and you were his dream fulfilled on the earth. That's who you are. And and if you want to know who you are, read what he calls you. He didn't die on the cross to make you valuable. He died on the cross because you're valuable. He didn't die for trash. He died, and he actually put a price tag on your life, on your heart, on your soul. And it was priceless, paid with the blood of his precious son this is who you are. You are not worthless. You are not insignificant. You are not second class or inferior because of where you might work or where you might live or how much money you might have in your bank or what your past might say about you. This is good stuff. I'll get all back to that. My wife, she, she has this story. She was in fifth or sixth grade and this, this bully kind of popular kid made a comment and started making fun that she had a pimple. And that changed the course of history and created an insecurity about her where she began to, to be concerned and insecure about who and how she was made. And then through, through life and all the way through adulthood, it's, it, it affected her until she came into the knowledge of the spirit of adoption and the revelation of who she was as a daughter. And the appearance goes out the window. The titles go out the window. And what people say about me goes out the window. When I know that the Father and Jesus accepts me, it doesn't matter who or what rejects me. When you're accepted, it's impossible for you to be rejected. It doesn't matter what anything happens when I know my acceptance is in Christ. See, here's this, here's this thing that, that it doesn't matter what my title is at work. I'm thankful that I have a cool job. Not many people get to run into burning buildings while everybody else is running out. Not many people get to shower with men and cook for men and sleep with no. Just kidding. I'm not going to go there today. Now I have this amazing job. It's fun. It's great. We have a second family at the fire station, especially when I was working the 24-hour shift. You have a community there. It's, it's literally a second or third family and. And, and, and that's great, but my title as lieutenant doesn't get me into heaven. My title as lieutenant really means nothing when I'm gone. Somebody else is going to take over that role and that title. Here's the other thing that can't define me. My marriage, my wife can't define me. She herself isn't my DNA. If she were to be taken away and taken up to heaven and get her upgrade too soon here, I, I still go on to be a dad, to be a pastor, to be, to be here you know on earth with a purpose... As hard as that might seem and feel, some of you have experienced that, some of you have walked through this stuff. But if our, if our, if our DNA, if our identity comes from those people or those positions or those titles or that material, then all of a sudden when that's ripped away, who are we, what do we have? Micah asked Jen Hetland once, what's, what's, if you could tell me one thing I should know, what should it be? She said, only the things in heaven should matter on earth. Relationships matter in heaven. These things that we put this high value for in our culture, at least, you know, rises up. They literally become idols. Our identity comes from who we are, who God says we are. Let's, Let's get into some stuff here. The serpent is attempting to bite where you have authority, where you have purpose, and maybe where your identity is. Let me get hydrated for this one. So... Paul goes to this certain region and he's building a fire. All of a sudden, a serpent, a snake comes out to bite him. In that time, it, everybody else who he it had bitten, had, he had, it had killed. Paul was the only survivor of this bite. So what happens is they're wondering, how, how's he going to survive? How, what's this? And he's like, my God's going to protect me. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but this is basically the story. So then he moves to another region, all of a sudden a healing crusade breaks out. The very thing that's trying to bite you and take you out is the thing that you have authority over. Sometimes the serpent is the one that's asking the questions of our identity to try to take us off course. We go to the garden, we go to Genesis 3, in, in Adam and Eve. In Genesis 2, around 25 or 27, he, says that, he says, that the, um, says that they were naked, they were without clothes, and they had no shame. Then we get further into chapter 3, and he says, it says the, the serpent was created by God. He was the shrewdest of all creation. And then we fast forward a few verses, and it goes on to say, it says, Who's, Did God really say that you, that you couldn't eat of that tree? And it says, then they, they begin to clothe themselves, and they begin to get fig leaves and wrap themselves around them, and then they're full of shame. Listen, one question from the serpent, and the question that the enemy is trying to present is usually involving your identity and your purpose. Let let me rephrase this. Jesus, when he was going to be baptized by John the Baptist, you can read this in the Gospels. He has this confrontation with John the Baptist. Hey, I I want you to baptize me. John simply says, well, I'm not worthy to baptize you. I'm not even worthy to wear your sandals. And then Jesus says, no, you're going to baptize me. John baptized him. He comes up. The heavens are separated. The father says this, basically says, but this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. So in this context, Jesus was around 30 years old. He hadn't started his ministry yet. He hadn't performed. He hadn't created uh, anything uh, beyond what was already created at the beginning of time. But he hadn't done any miracles. He hadn't preached. He hadn't raised Lazarus from the dead that we preached about last week. He hadn't done these things. So so here he is, my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. So the father didn't care what he had done. He didn't care what miracles he had or hadn't performed yet. He didn't care what what sermons or, or how many loaves and fish fed somebody. Simply, it was who he was that made him do what he ended up doing. It's not what you do that makes you who you are. It's who you are that makes you do what you do. Your identity is birth. And then we fast forward. The very next thing after the baptism, he's up on the mountain and the serpent comes to him and says, well, if you are the son of God, then do this. And there was a couple of different contexts there. But if you are the son of God, listen, when all of a sudden we get this revelation of sonship, that launched him. There was this thing that transformed. There was something pivotal in that moment of the baptism that launched him into the ministry for three years to die on the cross and resurrect for you and I and everybody else on this earth. Even the ones we don't agree with. He died for them. For he so loved the world, the cosmos, everybody, everything. He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but what? Have eternal life. He didn't come to condemn the world, he came to what? Save the world. Something launched him from the affirmation of the Father, the revelation of, of, of being a son, a beloved son, be loved son. We're human beings, not human doings. It's not what we do that's significant, it's who we are. So all of a sudden there's this revelation, there's this transformation. How are we transformed? By what? The renewing of our mind. We're transformed. So suddenly Jesus began to see different. He began to see the father different. He began to you know, say things like, I and you and you and me, if they would only see what we have. I only do what I see my father doing. I only say what I hear my father saying. You know, this is the context of Jesus. Now he's a beloved son for who the father's well pleased. He doesn't have to prove anything. He doesn't have to get the A on the test. He doesn't have to fast more or memorize more scripture for the Father to love him any more or any less than he already does, just like you. Listen, your past doesn't define you. Your history isn't what defines you, it's your destiny. So often we want to put the rearview mirror this big when it's the windshield that's that big and it's just a little tiny rearview mirror. And technically, you don't need it. You just need two of your three mirrors. Am I right, Robert? Come on got a deputy in the house and an attorney first service and I think I may have said something wrong I gotta fact check that with him so anyway here's the deal that's what defined you so now he goes into this ministry but the very thing that was questioned first was the serpent saying if you are the son of God I believe God's commissioning us to things and there might be attacks there might be some strain there might be some pressure listen the, you just push into it well, let, me, let me move on here Let me move on. The Bible says this, it says that, actually Bill Johnson has this quote, let me get there first. You can't overdose on affirmation. Listen, there's one thing that Nicole and I told you in February in our our Valentine's message. We talked about parenting, we talked about family and and that type of love of a family. And, And every year we take each of our daughters separately for several hours, half a day, or an all evening kind of thing, and we lavish them with affirmation, and words of acceptance, and declarations, and prophecies, and we declare what their year is going to be. We speak who they are. We tell them how beautiful they are. We remind them of how fearfully and wonderfully they were made. Here's what we do. We want to get it so ingrained in them of who they are, and that they're accepted so that when they go to school and a little school kid said something who they're not, they're not even gonna believe it because they already just know the truth. When you teach a banker or a bank teller, somebody deals with a lot of money, what they do is they send thousands of bills through them and they train by real money you never put a fraudulent bill in front of them. They never never put counterfeits in front of them. They only study the real thing. And they become experts of what the authentic cash bills are and the authentic and the realness and the truth and what those are. That way when a fake comes in, when a lie comes in, you already recognize it because you just know the truth. There's something about affirmation and the Father's acceptance and when the heavens opened up, it's my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. There's something about the truth of that. That way when the lies come in or the curses or the naysayers or all that comes in, I don't even have to believe it because I get to align with the truth of who God says I am. Yeah. Yeah. Romans eight fourteen through 17. NIV. Are you tracking with me? Pinch the person next to you in the butt. Make sure they're awake. If it's culturally acceptable. Or if it's somebody you might have a crush on. Best place to meet a spouse right here. Just saying. All right. Romans 8, 14 through 17. This changed my life. I was born again, saved, had power encounters with God, knew the power of the Holy Spirit, knew the power. But I really didn't understand this loving side of God. I didn't understand the nature of God as a a father or a friend or all these things. So I come to this and this was just heavy, 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 deep in me for years. Romans 8.14 says this, for those who are led by the Spirit of God... Are the children of God? The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. It's the spirit realm, which is the most powerful realm, that we download this revelation of the impartation of sonship, of being a son, being a daughter of the most high.
1: Yeah.
0: I get to be a son of the king of kings. Yeah. Now listen, that that that's really deep because who else are the kings? Let me read on. And by him we cry, Abba Father. To today's modern English, that would translate to daddy. And it says, the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co heirs of Christ. If indeed we share in His sufferings, in order that we may also share in His glory. Listen, you're not meant to be an orphan any longer. You're not meant to be a slave any longer. If we can get this right, we might save 40 years of our life of slavery trying to get to the promised land of sonship and the identity of which he's called us and the purpose and the anointing that he's called us to do. Listen, if we can capture this sonship, it might be like Elijah taking a mantle from Elijah getting a double portion anointing. Jesus, once the revelation came, he knew he was God's son. Don't read into that. But three years of miracles Three years of, of, of signs and wonders to get to the main event. Three years after 30 years to sonship. Listen, if we can get this, all of a sudden, it went from wandering through a desert to now crossing a river, walking around some walls seven times, and boom, it falls down. Yeah, the rock that, that David picked up to kill Goliath, it comes from the, the translation, uh, aben, father, son, Listen, there is something about the identity of a son or a daughter knowing and stepping into the fullness of their calling and stepping into that. And it comes to this revelation that we can cry out, Abba, Daddy. And an heir to the throne means you're an heir to the kingdom. Anything that's heaven, you now have a legal right to. Here's the deal too. Through children, they're naturally born or there's adoption. Adoption in a legal system is actually more powerful than natural birth. If I, if I adopted a child, I've already agreed through the court system to take care of that child. If I have a child naturally, that they would have to fight for the rights for me for child support and all these things. But if it's adoption, I've already agreed to that. It's already a done deal. Now here's the thing with God. We get the best of both worlds. We were born, we were created. Let us make man in our image. We were created and and birthed from the life that God gave us. And then we get the rebirth experience where he chooses us to be his children. We not only were naturally born and created with purpose and fearfully and wonderfully made and plans for a prosper, a hope, a future for us. I'm I'm just spewing word at you. But then again later, he chose us. Paul's got this. He says the same thing in Galatians 4. Paul has this. So then we we get to this place. Now, I also am heir to the throne. I'm an heir to the kingdom. I'm an heir to Jesus. I'm a co-heir with him. Wow. This is powerful stuff. But we have to get it here. Mm -hmm. It has to be a spirit realm to where all of a sudden, even if it gets it here, we have to get it here. We're transformed by the renewing of our mind. The, I, I took uh, Financial Peace University probably like three times. Sometimes I just need things multiple times to, to, to get it into here. So I took uh, Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. and In that you learn that there's like, like 70 some percent of people who win the lottery file bankruptcy within like three to five years. You learn that nearly 80% back then, 80% of NBA players file for bankruptcy the highest paid athletes in America, in the world. The highest paid athletes. And they're fi- 80% of them nearly, I think it was 78 to 80%, were filing bankruptcy after they got out of the NBA. Why? Because they were still thinking in the way they were brought up. They weren't thinking like rich mindsets. They were thinking like orphans. They were spinning it on riotous living. Let, let, me, let me just go there. We have to think differently and we have to catch this in the spirit room. The prodigal son, there's a story in the Bible about the prodigal son. So what happened was this prodigal son became an orphan because he just didn't want to belong in the house anymore. So he took his inheritance early. It said he spent it on riotous living. And then he was in this hog pen. He was eating the waste that the pigs couldn't even eat. Now, if you know the culture, that was wrong to even eat pork. So I'm painting the picture here of where he was. So, so here he is in the hog pen, thinking he doesn't belong. And then all of a sudden, a life-changing verse that I recognize says that he came to himself. Yeah. Or another version says he came to his senses. So all of a sudden, there was this revelation that changed. I believe, personally, that it was the spirit of adoption that came upon him to change his mindset, to get him to step out of his mess, out of this misery, out of this stuff, and actually step into a destiny to going back to the Father's house. Now, here's a beautiful picture of the Father's love for each of us. In that time, there was a culture, in the Jewish culture, there was a thing called Kazaza. And in that, if the son had left with his inheritance too early, if he came back, the mother was only allowed to go to the gate to greet him with a kiss to send him off forever. What happens in this story is so transformational. It says the father saw him from afar, ran towards him, embraced him. Now now listen, an orphan wouldn't be able to experience what is about to happen here. A slave wouldn't be able to experience this and receive the gifts that were about to be lavished on him, but a son would. So all of a sudden, he came to his senses. He realized that he wasn't in his created identity. He came to himself, to his divine identity, his divine creation, his divine purpose, his divine destiny. So all of a sudden, he says, now... Let's, let's get the fatted cap. Let's throw a party. Let's get the robe. Let's get the sandals on him. My boy was lost and now he's found. Let's get the insignia ring. Now listen, that ring was the signature of the family. That was worth more than the inheritance he had already taken. Now he has the seal, the signature, the authority, the legacy of the family. Only a son gets the legacy. Yeah. Only Jacob got the legacy. David got the legacy. A son gets the legacy. Jesus got the legacy. Listen, it was the ring that was the legacy. It was the son. It was the identity that I belong. The old system is this, this boy sitting out afar. The son, you know, you had the rebellious one, but you had the religious one, the slave who was still in the house. Bickering, saying, Listen, my brother went off and spent everything, spent our inheritance on, on, on prostitutes and drugs and alcohol and these parties. I've been working hard this whole time in the house and I don't even get this party. I get a little worked up when I preach. Listen, that system says I, if I behave, I'll believe and then I'll belong. Listen, the sonship says, I belong, I'll believe, then I'll behave. There's a, there's a difference here. He felt so much shame and so much performance and so much work and so much of the slavery mindset that he couldn't even go into the house for the party. He sent a servant to inquire. Listen, this, God has us in this place to where we get to be sons and daughters of the Most High. Why? Because you just belong. He created you for this. He created you for this destiny. He created you with a life of favor, not so that you can have riches. We're already rich. We have Jesus. I'm not against wealth in the kingdom, though. It takes it to spread the kingdom. I hope you all are millionaires, and I hope you tithe. There's wealth in the kingdom, but there's riches in Jesus. There's riches in knowing who we are and whose we are. Let me go to the final story. I don't have time to read it this time, but Matthew 25. It's through 14 through 30. It's a story of a master who goes afar and then he gives the talents, or some of your versions might say bags of silver or money. But he's giving the talents. He gives one, five, he gives uh, another two, and I think another one. So here's the point of the story. The first two, they they were able the first one invested it. The first one invested it to multiply it, and he got five back. He got equal return back. The next one worked and earned money, all right? God's not opposed to us earning. He's opposed to us striving. He's not opposed to us earning money. He's not opposed to us, you know, receiving. He's not. He's opposed to us striving and making it works and performance Jesus' love is free. His grace is free. His salvation is free. Healing that you you witness today, that's free. We won't fabricate that stuff. You should go to the doctor and confirm it. Don't take your medication until you do get confirmation. We don't need fake healings to to make God any more famous than he already is. He does a pretty good job of it. Those stuff just just elevate him because he's that good because he loves his sons and daughters. So we get to the story and the last one buried it. He buried the talent because he was fearful, and he says, "Lord, master, I know you're a harsh man." Getting to the end of that story. Listen, here's the difference in this story. The, the picture is this. It's a, it's a message of stewardship. It's a message of faith. It's a message of, of trust and all these things. It's also a message of salvation. It's a gospel message, because at the very end of the story, he says, "The one," because he says. Master, Lord, Lord, Master, I know you're a hard man. He didn't know the master is Jesus. He knew him as teacher. He knew him as a prophet. He didn't know him as Messiah. So he says, I'm casting you out. Give all that you earn to these guys that actually knew their place and identity as sons and daughters. Because they knew if they were going to risk it all and lose it, I was still going to love them wasn't just a story of stewardship. They were willing to risk it all because they knew if they lost it all, the master would still love them and accept them and receive them. It's the one that was afraid of him and only saw him as a hard man and not the Messiah, not a father, not a friend that actually says, I'm casting you to the place of gnashing of teeth. That's powerful. Let me get to the last one. If there's still a band here, they can come. I think they are. Yeah, they're here. They're here. Sometimes we get to the second service. In the end, I'm like, I think they're here. I don't know. Maybe we'll do something different. First John 3.1 NLT says this. I'll be done in five minutes. See how much our Father loves us, for He calls us His children, and that is what we are. So good. My favorite verse in the entire Bible. Right there. And it has emphasis on the end. He's telling you that is what you are. You are not an addict. You are not an alcoholic. You are not, you know, this and not that. You're not insignificant. You're not worthless. You're not dumb. You're not a failure. You're children of God. That is what you are. It says this, it goes on to say this, but the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. Listen, back to the story. We, we have to know him. My wife and I were processing some things and we, we've got so many friends out there and so many people we look up to and you know, so many people we're praying for who are pastors and their kids might be in a prodigal season or whatever and my wife was just like we're driving to the retreat on thursday night and and she's like convince me that we're doing something different with our kids that they won't end up like this or choose this or, or whatever and that morning i was just spending some time with the lord and he just kept downloading things and when we were youth pastors if there was something, if there was three things we could get in teenagers, if there was three things we could get in new believers, when I was working, you know, less often now but still do, but when I work with addicts or, or, or drug addicts, if there's three things I can get, it's not, it's not necessary, I'm not opposed to this, it's not a healing, it's not a goose bump, it's not, it's not this thing. If you recall when Elijah was going through his season in the cave, it was the still soft voice The wind, the fire, all these things didn't pull him out of the cave, but it was the still soft voice that pulled him out of the cave. It was the reminder of who he was. So so I'm like telling Nicole, I'm like, there's there's three things, and I I just want to share this with you. And I, and I think if we can get this, we move from, from maybe if we're an orphan or maybe if we're a slave or maybe if it's just a good reminder, we're, we're already in this place of, of sonship, but maybe there's this good reminder that, that says, like there's these three things, if you could get these, we go from being anywhere else or caring about anything else to knowing the security of who we are and trusting that if I lose it all, if I lose my job, if I lose my, my money, if I'm like Job and lose my health and lose my family and lose everything else, I know that God loves me so much, he's still going to take care of me. He's still going to bless me. And it just might be at the end, a double portion. Listen, this this is what it is. Job's identity was never in that stuff. As much as the enemy wanted to convince him and also try to convince him of lies, try to accuse him, try to trap him, Job knew his identity was a worshiper, was a praiser was a faithful servant and a lover of Jesus. Listen, this is this is the three things. First off, how you see God, how you see yourself, and how you see others. I want to expand on, on each of them just, just really briefly. How you see God. If you're only seeing God as a teacher or a prophet, or if you're only seeing God as a judge, it's going to cloud the revelation of the true nature of who and all he really Nearly 600 titles in the Bible that, that, that describe God. If you want to know who God is, study those 587 titles that actually say who He is, His nature, and what He wants to do. If He's called Healer, He wants to heal. If He's called Counselor, He wants to counsel your marriage. He's called the Prince of Peace. He wants peace to reign in your life. And we can go through each one of them of who God is. And once we get the true nature of God, and it's not just this box view of how I grew up or or this only perspective I was introduced to. All of a sudden, I'm exposed to this world of who God is. That's the truth. When we know the truth, nothing out there can convince us of anything else. The other thing is, who are we? Who am I? God has hundreds of things that He calls you. He calls you more than conquerors. He calls you mighty ones. He calls you His peculiar people. He calls you all these amazing things. He calls you worthy. He calls you holy. He calls you holy. These are the things that God calls us. He calls us saints. He calls us sons and daughters and children. That's what we are. And the third thing is, how do you see others? It's not just to love them. It's not just to have the the value system and the perspective of heaven. That's obvious. Love God, love people. The more I can see from heaven's perspective, the easier it is for me to love people. Why? Because I'm seeing a revelation of God, and I'm seeing a revelation of his creation on the earth, and I get to love them. I get to love the hell right out of them. And so do you. Listen, how you see people means how do you see their perspective of you? We need to get rid of the fear of man so that we can live from the love of God. And all of a sudden, if I view God in this way, and if I view myself in the way that he's promised me that I am and who I am and and this is what I am, then all of a sudden, now the people don't matter. It doesn't matter what they think of me. Every person I studied in the Bible had, had, had you know, people against him. Look at Jesus, look at Moses, people were kicking and screaming, oh, if I just could go back to slavery, I'd wear or know where my next meal is coming from. But there is a promised land. You were called to be sons and daughters, there is a promised land. Last story, you can stand with me. Last story. It's Luke 8. This just might be the very best identity message I've ever preached. I'm not being arrogant. I'm thankful for the revelation that God has given me just to receive this right now. and 12 years of a continual menstrual cycle that was heavy and never stopped. She spent all of her money through doctors and physicians and these treatments and all these things that nothing worked. And she hears about this Jesus and she says, if I could just press through the crowd and touch the hem of his garment, I might be healed. She does. All of a sudden, Jesus, with this crowd pressing on him, he says, healing just flowed out of my body. Who touched me? And there is a message in that, who touched me? It wasn't what. You're a who to God. You're a person to God. You're, you're, you're his beloved children. It was who touched me. And then all of a sudden, he doesn't call out, she was unclean, guys. She was considered unclean. She was unworthy. The culture, she was a reject of society. But what is he saying? He says, daughter. It wasn't an unclean woman. It wasn't a woman with the issue of blood. It wasn't outcast. It wasn't her history. It was her destiny that mattered. It says this. It says, daughter, your faith has made you well. You're healed. Go in peace. It's a daughter, he's calling you by, by your destinies right now. Let me, let me just pray for you. Let me pray for you. I want to do just one quick thing. adoption so God right now we just thank you father we thank you that you're closer than a brother you're a friend you're a father you're a daddy so we just pray I pray right now and ask that you'll just come into each one of our lives through the spirit of adoption convince us of who we are God reveal the truth to us in the the very way we need it, in the intimate way that we need it as individuals as children as sons and daughters God you're so good you would have died for just one of us so I pray for just liquid love I pray for a tsunami wave of love acceptance adoration God let us see ourselves the way you see us let us see ourselves as beautiful and mighty ones and precious worthy and holy and called for such a time as this God us out of hog pens, bring us out of slavery, and bring us right at the feet of you as sons and daughters, little boys and little girls with a great big dad, and we thank you for that. I pray that through the week, through the nights, through dreams, through encounters and visions, God, you'll just reveal, you'll just lavish us and overwhelm us with your love and your goodness, you really are a good, good father, you really are a good, good father. that people have word cursed you with just symbolically we'll use our imagination he says he'll do greater things than we can ask think or imagine anyway so take those hats off, these are all the word curses, this is calling you stupid saying you wouldn't amount to anything saying you're insignificant, saying you're not worthy, saying you're not good enough for that position or that role or or you're just this or you're young or you're old or whatever, just take those hats off right now and now here's what I want you to do you get your beautiful crown right there just grab it. Okay, this is the crown of identity as sons and daughters. This is the beautiful crown that God has placed on your head. This is the this is the the essence of who you are. Now, because you're worthy, and because he died for you and because he loves you, just put that crown right on your head. Where if you came here today and you don't know Jesus as Messiah, you don't know him as father or friend, we want to offer the invitation we'll stay, we'll pray with you, we'll introduce you to a really amazing creator, Messiah, Savior healer, whatever it is that you need, we, we'd love to pray for you so don't leave here if you need more of Jesus or if you need a touch or a healing or, or, or simply the greatest gift of all, salvation otherwise, we love you may he shine his face you.